0: This is Tiffany. It's Isa. And I'm also Tiffany. And this is the last Tiffany. And this is Tit Talks, a podcast for modern women living in a mama world.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tit Talks. As usual, you have myself, Tiffany, Isa, Tiffany, and Tiffany. Um, as we're recording this, it's November 1st, and what a year this has been. And I can't think of a more timely time to have this episode that we've been trying to do for quite some time now around mental health. So we actually have a special guest joining us today. And I'm so happy to announce that Dr. Jang Cho of Cultivate Psychiatry is here with us. Dr. Cho is a board certified child, adolescent and adult psychiatrist with a passion for giving back to the AAPI community. So we're so glad to have you here, Dr. Cho. Thank you for coming on.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is such a um, fun (laughs) space, but also a really great topic for today. Um, I think it's so timely, but also we've been really um, having a difficult year. So uh, I'm glad you guys are talking about it.
1: Yeah, I'll say it's, it's been a, it's been a rocky one for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love for you to tell us about yourself a little bit. Um, I actually listened to the episode that you're on with Jerry on Dear Asian Americans. And I also think that that story about how you became a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. is actually so beautifully tied into our episode because it really is a your own journey of doing, in the end, what made you happy inside and out. So um, I know you're a mom, just like us. Yes. <laughs> you have a four-year-old little girl. So if you can maybe tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, that would be great. Oh,
2: thank you. Um, uh, well, um, I am uh, definitely a mom, a four-year-old. I am also an immigrant um, I um, in a very interesting way, um, and also child advocacy adolescent psychiatrist um, by profession. So I am from Korea. I grew up in Korea and um, came here when I was 14 years old. I was dropped off um, by my parents at a boarding school. Um, That was my introduction to America Um, uh, and then uh, ended up going to college and medical school here. Um, uh, And Tiffany has mentioned a little bit about why I went into child psychiatry. So Um, I actually went into medical school thinking that I was gonna be a surgeon (laughs) and um, ended up going into training for surgery. Um, And after a couple of years, I actually quit in the middle. Um, which I can say that um, with Asian parents, um, <laughs> uh, it's a really difficult <laughs> situation, <Yes>. um, <laughs> you know, to say uh, to stop in the middle of your training. But um, I mean, I think uh, my parents were very, very um, uh, supportive. Um, so I ended up going back home uh, to Korea at the age of thirty. <laughs> So I land. So in in, I don't know about uh, other Asian cultures, but in in Korea, you count your uh, age by the New Year, right? So when when you when the New Year comes, you're you're turning the the next age. So when I landed, it was January 1st, turning 30, and um, no boyfriend, no job, (laughs) no future. And so it was a low point. Um, but I actually took some time off, um, kind of like, you know, uh, taking a break from life because um, I had gone so um, gung ho on everything. And uh, in the middle of it, I um, actually was teaching SATs um, to children who, kind of like me, were dropped off at a boarding school, <laughs> um, but were uh, back home in Korea during summer. And, um, and it's only because I, it paid really well. Um, <laughs> hey, <that's laughs> right? For me. right? <laughs> yeah, it really pays well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then um, during that time, I really found myself uh, engaging with the teens very much. Um, they were able to somehow like talk about what the um, what the dilemmas and all the conflicts they were having, and that really got me interested in thinking back to Maybe I should go back to uh, medicine, um, but in psychiatry, so that I can um, work as somebody who can work with these teens to help them through these really difficult times. Um, so that's how I ended up in child psychiatry. Um, so that has really kind of uh, been the driver. So. In my psychiatric career, I've been, I've been working a lot with Asian-American population, Asian-American families. I say families because you don't just treat children. When you treat children, you, you're treating actually the whole family um, and also Asian international students as well. That's so
1: great. Thank you for sharing. And if you guys are interested in the whole story, you have to go over to uh, Dear Asian Americans and listen to the entire episode. Um, you, you would know as do we and and likely as do our listeners that um, mental health continues to need more normalization in society and and really does need to be destigmatized um, and I think you know I speak for all of us when I say we wholeheartedly believe that we would be doing a disservice to our community if we did not use this platform to discuss and and do what we could to break down the barriers and that's that's really the main reason why we're having this episode today. So there were a few subjects we wanted to touch on, um, one of which um, was really just the the overarching task of taking care of ourselves as moms, number one, as women, and then also as people of color. Um, mm-hmm. 2020 has been a tough one. I, I don't know how else to say it. There has been social unrest, um, unrest, I'm sorry, At um, with the murder of... George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, who still does not have justice, Ahmed, Ahmed Aubrey, uh, and and countless other Black Americans, and I think it's also caused us as Asian Americans to reflect how we fit into this social hierarchy, and and how do we practice allyship, right? So there's that. <laughs> On top of that, um, there has been a pandemic, (laughs) and and how has that impacted our lives um, at home, but also at work. And then on top of that, there's just the impending election, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and what the nomination, (laughs) Issa voted, so did I, (laughs) of of what Amy Coney, I'm sorry, of the the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. and her confirmation also and, and what is that going to do to human uh, sorry women's rights. So it's really a lot. And, and when I think about it, it gives me anxiety and it's very heavy. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think with you on as an expert, we kind of just wanted to talk through like, like, what are your thoughts on how to navigate all of this. I think we're doing the best we can, but it would, it's, it's great to have a professional on um, because I'm sure you've you've had to talk through this with with quite a few people as well.
2: Well, how have you been feeling? Because I mean, I think it, um, from from the clinical side, y- yes, I think I think we psychiatrists also have been seeing a lot more anxiety and depression, and um, we've been busy. <laughs> um, it also doesn't help that um, when adults are having a really hard time, the children are having a hard time, and also the school issue has been really big. So um, it's been a very busy and kind of heartbreaking year. Um, not to mention, I think um, you mentioned all the un, uh, social unrest, but in addition to all that, uh, there, uh, because of the pandemic, um, there has been a lot of violence against Asian Americans as well. Um, you know, with all the social um, injustices going on and the pandemic going on, I think the, the word um, that's been coming around is called syndemic, right? Because there's multiple things going on. Um, it's been really hard for... Everybody, um, but also, I would say the most difficult uh, people who are having most difficulty are um, moms of color, for sure, on multiple levels. And I don't know how how are you guys doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, there there was some stat, and I, um, I couldn't pull it in time, but I don't know if anybody else remembers, but there's record numbers of women that are leaving mm-hmm. the workforce because of the pandemic and. I saw also that like, we actually, the numbers in the workforce have been reset back to 1988. Mm-hmm. Because of so many women that have dropped out um, and, and I can go first and I'd love for us to actually have a round table about it, but um, I, I'm not gonna say that it's been easy because it hasn't been, it's it's definitely been a disruption. And, and you know, in our next segment, I'll go a little bit into, you know, the de- depression and the anxiety side, but, um, probably from a, <laughs> from a solution standpoint, I've tried personally to, to, to have a grateful mindset, because I know that that helps. But um, it's difficult. There, there hasn't been a time where I didn't cry. I, mean, I cried about RBG's death. I cried about George Floyd's death. I, I mean, everything has just been so emotional. Um, I'd love for you guys to also give your take on what's been happening on your side.
3: Um, I can go next. And and I think the number in September alone was like 865,000 mm-hmm. women, yeah, you yeah. know, left the workforce. And um, I think, you know, just to realize how important we are to the economy, to the strength mm-hmm. of the economy is so important. But um, just the other week, I think last week, I was kind of losing my mind. Like I was like, I'm almost on the verge of a mental breakdown mm-hmm. because I just do, um, you know, like I work full time. I know I say this all the time. I work full-time and I take care of sauna full-time and I'm looking at options. I haven't chosen one or me and my husband haven't chosen one yet. So I am very strained. And then, you know, I lost a team member. So there's more work and that will not stop. And so I think, you know, when you don't think about it and you just keep moving and then all of a sudden you have a pause and you're like, ah, you know, you just, it just comes to you and you're like, how am I supposed to, keep it all together and then I know that some of of my frustrations I deflect onto my husband you know sometimes it could be like we're driving and I'm like why did you make that turn (laughs) you know and I get all caught up on one little thing that doesn't really matter and just because I have to get out I think get out my frustration and so you know I think that's that's mostly what I'm going through right now on top of you know being um yeah mindful but also like Tilo said, um, emotional and like trying our best to take action on, on the social injustices, the many, you know, to, to so many, <clears throat> so many women of color, people of color. I mean, there's just so many things to tackle. And so how, how do we go about doing that? Living our personal lives and our professional lives and being, you know, the best that we can for our children. It's so, it's hard to think about.
4: This is Chuk. I'll go next. Um, I think I'm I'm very good at looking at the bright side of things. So that helps. And I um I've really learned to, you know, practice gratefulness, especially when my when my husband wasn't unemployed for like a year and a half. And, you know, thankfully he was import, employed last year. He's he's doing great. So I've been able to sort of kind of carry that with me. But I like, we can't deny that it just sucks, right? Because like I have a three and a half year old and I gave birth to my second boy in June. And there's oh, just wow. so many things, yeah, uh, yeah. There's just so many things I've wanted to do. And like with Kai, my, my three and a half year old, we didn't give him a birthday party for his first birthday, his second party. I was like, he's never gonna remember. And I always joke that for his third birthday, We'd be going to Vegas, you know. <laughs> we we'd be doing all these great things. So I was so geared up and so excited for his third birthday party in in April. And I you know I like I don't do I I'm not that thoughtful. I'm not that detail oriented when it comes to like like creative arts and and crafts. But this time, like I, I had it all planned out. I was gonna make little trucker hats like for his truck thing birthday party and. And I couldn't do that. And there's just so many things at his age that, like, I, I want him to be at the park. I want him to be going down the slides. And he, he just, you know, can we go to the park when it's open? Is it, can we go when the germs are over? And, oh, yeah. and, and then same with, um, with, with Casey, my, my now um, four and a half month old my closest friends who are these girls they've only seen him just a handful of times and and even like T just met him yesterday and it's so crazy because in any other year these girls would have seen him multiple times they'd be able to cuddle him yeah. and um just just know him and his little baby personality very well so you know i i get that Right now, everyone has to, you know, that's that's all we can do, right? It's just, at least it's not worse or, you know, hopefully it doesn't get worse tomorrow, but I think it sucks, Yeah, it sucks, but I'll just do what I can to be strong for, you know, my loved ones and then show them that it doesn't, it doesn't suck that badly, even though it kind of does.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll close it out really quickly because I think these ladies have said it all. Um, it's. I've been trying to keep that positive, grateful mindset, but sometimes it weighs that invisible weight of always having to be the positive one. It's very tiring yeah. to everyone. It's like you're being positive to your kids, you know, first and foremost, 100%, always the happiest face. And then, like, your partner and then your parents, like, you have to talk them off a ledge about the death numbers because they're in the vulnerable population. So, having to keep that facade day after day. And then, on top of that, to your boss. Um, Like everyone that I work with, so first of all, so grateful that I live right next door to my parents, so I have daycare four to five hours a day, which is more than what anyone can say right now, right? But to compensate for that, I think I work um, even harder, and then my my peers know that um, at work, so that more is given to me because they know I can do more. So it just like piles on, 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 on to the point where it's like I I, for- I have forgotten how to create boundaries, and that is just um, very anxiety inducing. And I'm also not very emotional, and I've gotten more communicative through the years. Mm-hmm. Actually, thanks to this podcast, I've been able to actually speak. What I'm thinking a lot more eloquently um, but even so it's it's taken a while for me to express like this is too much and then I tend to just don't think about it don't think about it, don't think about it and then I explode and just mm-hmm. cry and I cannot control the avalanche of emotions that come out so that's kind of what I've been dealing with on the family front and same <laughs> as you Isa. like sometimes I just like don't do anything and then I just crack if Michael's like, did you wash the pot today? I'll be like, ah, I don't have time to deal with you and your nonsense right now. And it's just yes.
3: <laughs> that is me too. It'll be like the smallest thing, and it's just like
2: explode. I think that's just like you know everybody um, when when the stress really gets to you. I I think you guys um you know bring up the really really good point of, of being grateful, having mindset of gratefulness. But I think part of uh, what I'm hearing though, I think is that um, um, as a mom, I think a lot of us think that we have to put on the um, happy face all the time, um, but it's okay to acknowledge that it is hard for us. I think, um, well, yes, with spouse, of course, because you, you, wanna, you wanna share that with uh, your loved uh, your partner, but also with even little ones, sometimes it's okay for, you, for them to see you struggle a little bit. Um, it, it it shows that it's okay for them to actually express their emotions, even what they consider negative, and that's gonna give them a little bit of resilience too to know that um, you do have hard times and this is how you get through it. sometimes you can you can cry, sometimes you can scream <laughs> um, but 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 it goes on because oh there you go. Uh, <laughs> that too. Um, I think, you know, because if you, if, if your child only knows the happy side of things, then how do, when, when she's, or when he's uh, faced with something really be- big and really, you know, bad, kind of like pandemic, how do you get through that? He doesn't, uh, he won't have tools. So it's okay to model that. Um, and so that you also have a little bit of steam off so that you don't uh, explode. It's hard,
0: yeah. Doctor. You're too. telling us that if we are sometimes expressing our real face and we are frustrated, we won't ruin our kids for perpetuity. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. If they hear us yelling, that's right.
3: <laughs> I've I've never cried in front of Sana. How um, how how does that work? Like if you you kind of so, cry. I mean, yes,
2: yeah, so it, it's okay to cry. You know, and, and I have a lot of. It. I'm just kidding. See, I, uh, I I have a lot of moms, even like yelling, right? Because uh, I have a lot of moms feel very, very guilty about like, well, you know, I snapped at my child. Like, how, how can I snap? But it's actually it's about what you do afterwards, right? So if you do cry um, and, and, you know, the kids will be curious why you cry um, then you can, when you feel better, you can go back and uh, um, kind of explain to them, this is why, uh, why I cried and how I felt at the same time. But, you know, now I'm feeling a little bit better. And that's one, one way for me to help myself to feel better. Um, so I think that's actually really a great um, way to kind of teach the kids um, because, you, you well, okay, uh, you know, if you cry and then all of a sudden you're happy and no explanation, that's bad. But if you're able to go back and tell them, that's a lesson learned.
1: I love that. That's, that's also like, I feel like permission to be vulnerable, which <laughs> I feel like, um, teach how you mentioned that invisible weight, we, we are carrying it nonstop on our shoulders every single day. And I think that that was very refreshing to hear. I don't know, personally. Um,
3: yes. Yes. Yeah. Also, is it, is it culturally that we are taught to be so strong? Um, you know, I was never taught that, like, it was kind of okay to cry in front of me. I think, I don't know if my mom really did that,
2: you know, yeah, and taught that me really- why. That was my next question. Like, did you ever see your mom or dad cry because th- that's not something you do. And especially in Asian uh, communities or um, cultures, crying is like weakness, right? If you, um, that's weakness of your character. But people who are, are so strong can, can break, right? Um, and I think showing your vulnerability is actually your strength in some ways. Um, and we're teaching that to our children. Yeah, that's that. I don't know that there's any better lesson than that.
1: Thank you so much, really. I really do feel a little bit relieved, actually, right now.
3: Same here. What I mean, we can stop here, but we're going to keep going. Yeah, we are all right.
1: (laughs) Um, It's good for our kids. Yeah, and you know, the and you know, the reality is is that all of this really can potentially you know, steamroll us into to either the onset of depression or anxiety or a combination of both. And um, I think it was a couple months ago when Michelle Obama launched her podcast. Um, I don't know if anybody listened to it, but she, she basically said that she has been experiencing mm-hmm. low grade, a, a version of low grade depression, um, you know, and because of the social unrest, because of the pandemic, everything just going on in the world was too much. And and I felt that, like I felt that so hard, um, it, you know, when when the pandemic hit, a month afterwards, I my job, you know, because I work in retail, stopped, and because, you know, it's so so much of a part of my identity, and I'm a high achiever, um, I, I I started to get those very familiar. Um, symptoms, you know, the men- mm. the mental fog, the disengagement, mm. um, the the just. I would be sitting in a car and we'd be going somewhere to get our kids out, and I would just be able staring out into space and not being able to to be in the moment. Um, and I've I've actually had um, you know a couple of cases of depression in the past, so I'm I'm familiar with what it felt like. And I think I even told these girls I was texting them, and I was like, oh my gosh, I I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if I need to you know, go back on medication to, to manage it or or, or what. But, um, you know, luckily, things kind of came back into place. Like I, I ended up getting back into work, I upped my, um, my physical activity re- regime, which for me is that's, that's a very, very key point for me on how how I keep my mental health happy. <laughs> um, I make that time for myself. But, you know, it, It was scary, I will say, because just because I know I've been through it for very long periods of time and I was not able to to course correct myself without medication. So it was a very, very scary time because I was afraid I was going back down that route again. Um, So, you know, so what Michelle Obama said resonated with me because I felt it um, as a woman and as a woman of color. Um, And and I don't I, I don't know, I just I. I wanted to share that because, you know, I don't know who else out there who might be listening, you know, went through the same thing and maybe didn't feel comfortable talking about it. So, um, I'll give the, the mic to to a few to a few stories from these ladies also because, you know, they wanted to also share what what they've gone through as well.
3: Yeah, um, for me, I really wanted to share about my journey, um, my postpartum journey. Um, because that is also something I think that, you know, at, at the lightest range, we go through baby blues, but, you know, I, I I was probably on disability a little longer because I was struggling with postpartum depression, which is, um, you know, I, I have had anxiety before and leading into me giving birth. I didn't even know it, but I read this article on the stats of, um, I'm forgetting the technical term, but postpartum, but also something that gave me like deep anxiety was the thought of, um, this is morbid, but passing away during delivery. And I had no idea where that was coming from until I spoke with someone until I told my doctor that I needed to speak with someone. And it was stemming from my mom who, with my brother, the last in line of all my siblings, um she almost died in birth and I totally forgot about it it's been years and I think it's because I never saw myself having a child that I just totally blanked blacked it out and then when I was almost there I was in my third trimester almost there and it just came flooding in and I had all this anxiety about it and then once I had my child (laughs) then there was just like keeping her alive my little five pound 11 ounce (laughs) baby, like there's just so many factors. Right. Um, and so that just built up in, in me. And I actually didn't continue to see somebody until I was probably three months. And I was like, okay, this is not just baby blues. I can't control my emotions. Also, it's probably hormonal. Um, but, um, what happened is I sought help. I was put in a group, which was really helpful because I got to see other people feel the way that I do, I was getting nightmares and mm-hmm. really crazy ones, mm-hmm. um, that fed into my paranoia. You know, you think about the worst things, maybe even like people abducting your child when you're out and mm-hmm. things like that, that why, are why are those things in my brain? You know? And so it was really helpful to do group therapy. And then I had a group therapy, um, a, a second group that was transition me, transitioning me back into work. Um, and then I also had individual therapy where I got some good grounding techniques for when I ever felt anxiety. And I think that was so helpful. And then I was actually prescribed um, meditation. So guided meditation like five times a day is where I started and that really helped me come out of it. And I think, I think about um, some of the women I know who go through it or people that I met in group, we are not really given those tools unless we seek them out or ask for them. And I always think, you know, it would be nice if, I mean, my doctor always told me my OB, you know, you may be feeling these things reach out, but I think it'd be nice to say, hey, you know, here's a resource, download this app. It's free guided meditations. You can try it or not um, at the beginning or at the outset. Cause you know, having to seek it out is like a really big step as well. Yeah. Um, and so that was my journey and it's definitely conquerable. And sometimes you do need medication. I, I did not, um, and there's varying levels. Like I said, there's baby blues too, full on postpartum depression. So, you know, always seek help. That That is, you know, my story. And I, I think it really worked for me. And actually I have used those tools now when I feel like I'm about to lose it. Like, let me just count all the stationary things in my house, you know, until I forget about my anxiety. So so yeah, that's that's the isa story.
4: Is that sharing? <laughs> Is that really like a like a tool for meditating, counting all the stationary things? In your that's house?
3: like a grounding tool. Like if you feel out of control. And like, you're, you're getting anxious. Yeah,
2: it's it's like the sensory thing. So it could be counting. Some people use like, um, it, it depends on what sens- senses you're more, um, um, you know, sensitive to. So some people, um, we use like, a, um, you can um, freeze the orange a little bit. So it's cold. So you take it out and kind of roll it on your arm and that kind of grounds you as well. Um, so it's the, the focus is like, focusing on one sense, sense so that nothing um it's a little bit of like mindfulness yeah in that sense yeah
1: yeah and isa like did you feel like that that was like a cultural thing like you didn't feel comfortable seeking it out just because of the stigma around it and and how how it's not been talked about as you've grown up
3: i think it was more um me wanting to be this strong mom—it's my first time mom, and nothing's wrong with me because I think you—you're in a sense you're—I felt like I didn't even know I was crying. I would just cry. I wasn't even feeling sad. I would just cry, and I think I didn't even know what to call it at first, too. Even though I was wearing like baby blues, you'll feel a little sad, and but how do you distinguish between a, a sadness and? And postpartum, it's really hard because you're drained. You're not sleeping because you're nursing all the time. And so like what's real? I think that was it was hard for me to distinguish what's real. I mean, I almost think that everybody should have like group, maybe virtual group therapy when you first give birth. Or, so, so you know what's normal <laughs> and what's not because it's kind of hard to tell and to tell if, you know, this is just exha- exhaustion or really, you know, my mind my hormones are are making me a little more sad, and it I really did take Jake saying like you're not yourself.
2: <laughs> you know, I think I I, I sorry I'm in, interrupting, but oh, the two two stories um, that you guys t- talked about, what stands out to me is that you guys both actually were able to recognize that there's something wrong, right? And um, uh, with Tila's story, like you um, had skills to not only recognize it, but knew what worked for you. So you would delve into that, which is actually the point where as a therapist, my, all my, I want all my patients to be that way because you're going to have times where you're going to be anxious. You're going to have times where you're going to be depressed, no matter why, whether you're in treatment or not, Right. So the goal is for somebody to be able to say, okay, this is not working for me, but here are things that I, I it can work for me. I'm going to use that to come out of it, right? And, and both of you have been doing that. So that's really amazing. Um, also in terms of the therapy or uh, the group therapy, um, there are um, mommy groups like right postpartum that's not really, you um, necessarily mental health therapy per se, but there are mommy groups and um, they function as uh, mom uh, therapy groups as well. Uh, It's just more of a support system. And um, I was in one of them um, right after my child. And it's been a lifesaver to know that other people go through the similar problems. Uh, My child's four, we still talk on the WhatsApp, you know, every day because you know, all our children are four years old. (laughs) Uh, So we grow together. And that support system is uh, very helpful. I think you guys have each other, which is really, really um, enviable to me. (laughs) Um, I I
4: do say that I do call, I I do say that we are each other's therapists.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. There's something about like, uh, mom, friends that your partner just can't do right? So
1: oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, we also provide each other therapy on our partners. Right, mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isa. I like. I say like for for any week,
3: like one husband is the star, and that's not a good <laughs> a thing. Bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you mentioned the mommy and me group. One thing that I do regret, um, because the group I was in was therapy <laughs> prescribed um, or therapist prescribed was a a mommy and me group. And I think, I think I thought I didn't need it because there's also a a mediator of that group that could probably, you know, provide, Mm -hmm. you know, good information. And I definitely relied on my girlfriends too. Mm -hmm. So, um, I definitely think it's, it's good to join a group like that. Yeah.
1: And I think probably the one thing I would say also is although I have tools now, I didn't have tools like the first time I went through any of this so right. it really is like you know I, I would love for Ticha and Chuk to share stories if they have them also but I guess like what I had to struggle with and what I'd love for you to answer after they share their stories is like and even Issa mentioned this it's like how do you know when you're supposed to seek help like how do you know when you're like oh it's okay I can I can handle this you know to the or to the point where you're like oh no like this is not good, you know. But but let's circle back to that because I would love for you guys to share stories yeah. if you have any or feel comfortable doing that.
4: I'll go. Um, this is Tuke again, and I I think that my friends and even myself know me as a generally happy person. I that's that's the way I like to be. It's it's a great state to be in. Um, and I and for most of my life, I, I don't think that I had any like real signs of anxiety and or, or, or dealings with depression until I felt the, the baby blues for, um, after having my first, my first son. And I think I was able to recognize that because I had like a physical manifestation, like my heart would start beating really fast. And to rewind, I think I get this from my mom who I love, Mrs. Chuki. I I will always say that, but it's just like, I always grew up with like, with uh, like, like 10% anxiety. I was like, steady state at 10% anxiety because it's like, you always think about homework or what needs to be done next or what applications I have to fill out. There's no, there's no real rest, which that would be great. You know, like, I think we all agree. Like, I think our husbands do feel real rest, right? I we make it so that like <laughs> our kids can feel some real rest. Like, oh, wh- what time do I need to be ready? And you like for the fifth time, it's like I said 10. 10, 10. But um going back to my postpartum uh, you know, my baby blues, that was the first time I actually felt like like I was kind of losing a little bit of control. And I didn't like that but i i i was able to monitor myself enough to be like okay i i know that this has kind of been mitigated and i don't feel as out of control as i did you know after week 3 so so that was nice that i was able to like at least pinpoint it because i had i had heard about like these emotions and these hormones and i had never really felt them and that was like the first time i actually really felt a little out of control and then um I touched on this a little earlier. Um uh, like the next time I actually felt it was when my husband became unemployed and it was like it's it's such a bear um to deal with a spouse like especially I think I I don't I don't know other people's stories personally but I like from my own perspective like I I you know the wife the man and um you know masculinity teaches men that they need to work and provide and you know there's there's a little of like embarrassment or shame right that might come with it even though it's like I know you're qualified you will do well at a an environment where you're more appreciated and where you're you're gonna just have a better time there but going through that with him was really tough because I mean in that in that scenario it's like you don't have a choice. You have to put on that happy front, right? You can't both be de- you can't both be depressed, right? Like um, one of you has to keep keep up spirits. And um, going through that, that was I. I actually started feeling that the same. Like my heart started beating really quickly. Like just not being able to sleep. And I'm I'm lucky enough that I could pinpoint where that was coming from, right? My husband, which you know, I love him and that it wasn't his fault, but it's like, we just take on their emotions and you have to, you have to be the happy person. And he was lucky enough. Like he, he was depressed. It was sad. It was sad to be around him, but he was lucky enough to know where it was coming from. And I would talk to him. I'd say, you know, maybe you should talk to a professional because it's hard seeing you not believe in yourself and then, um, just not do anything about it, because I think if I was an unemployed, I would be sending out like 100 applications. Okay, you know, one's got to stick 100 applications per day. It just, it wasn't the same reaction. And of course, we're not the same person. But um, lucky enough for him, he could, he knew where it was coming from. It was because he was unemployed. And I would say, you know, well, what, what, how can we stop this? How can this change? And he said, you know, I won't be sad like this when I I'm employed again. And sure enough, it, you know, he became himself when he was employed again. But that that's a very, that's a very, you know, lucky story for for him and for me. And um, and, you know, I know, I know it can spiral out of control, but lucky enough for us it didn't. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough to to recognize that those are just few there was just a few events in my life where I actually felt like that. But but um but but yeah, I guess that's that's my story and and I really I really feel for anyone who 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 goes through it more than that in their lifetime because that was really tiring and not fun.
0: Yeah what but about ju- you
4: teacher
0: <laughs> But just one last comment like you're really good at putting yourself in other people's shoes and being empathetic that way. so I don't <laughs> I He's very lucky to have you and someone who's as positive as you are. Because I, I definitely, I, I feel like I have a relatively high EQ. But sometimes with Michael, I do have trouble putting myself in, in his shoes. He's a little bit more high anxiety than I am, and so sometimes I just get really frustrated. I'm like, "Why are you? Why are you this way? Why are you feeling this way? Because I wouldn't feel that way." And I'm, and I sometimes have a lot of difficulty trying to understand that because he's thinking differently the reactions will be different and i need to be okay with that and i need to be a little bit more positive about it so that's something that i'm working on too Um, but as as to my experience this is actually more of a question for you dr cho because um, many years ago i went through a really painful divorce and i saw a um, psychologist at this time Um, but my parents are also very anti um, and were you know, every chance that they got, they're like, why are you listening to her? You should be listening to us. So it was a very strange situation going to a doctor and listening to all these um, kind of uh, tactics to improve my situation in life and then going back to my parents and them saying, that's that's useless information. You should just listen to us because we know best. Your family knows best. I don't know why you're listening to this other source. So. It just made me feel very uh, worthless, and it, I think mm-hmm. it drove me to make decisions—some um, like, stupid decisions—that I wouldn't have made if I weren't trying to compartmentalize, like my well-being versus like how I was appearing to my parents, and. And I think my relationship with them at that point was a little bit um, bit too dependent on their approval because I felt like I was already, you know, screwing up one part of my life. I can't screw up this other part of my life that's so essential to my identity. So how do you deal with resistant partners, resistant parents when you're trying to treat someone who's really trying to get some help?
2: Yeah. So... I think that's really a um, difficult situation that I, a difficult situation, but not uncommon, um, especially in Asian American families. Um, I see that with a lot of adults, but also um, a lot of children. Um, and I think, well, number one, um, you actually knew what was needed and you sought out help. Right. So that's actually really important. I think it was difficult, probably, for you to um, kind of uh, come to terms with what your parents are saying because it sounds like it was a very vulnerable time for you. Um, and so you needed somebody who would be supportive of your decisions. And instead, you've got these conflicting um, people. <laughs> um, it, what You know, especially, I, I don't know, I think. Um, par- This is kind of a little bit of my soapbox, but uh, this becomes a little bit of problem for a lot of Asian Americans when they're looking for therapists too, because not therapists of non-color sometimes don't understand where this is coming from, Um, and they can because of the Western training that we get sometimes the dynamics that Asian families have might look toxic in their eyes. Um, In fact, when it it's not, it's just a different form of dynamics for a family, right? And you have to learn how to navigate that in a way that you can still feel like yourself, right? Um, I, I think with a lot of times when the parents come in um, with a child or a, even an adult child, um, and there's a lot of resistance in treatment, um, I kind of hear it out like you know wh- what what is your what is your worry right um and also um the one thing that i do is to kind of go down to the root um because you know our parents really love us right <laughs> they do in a very extreme way sometimes but um i in a way they love us so so much and so i think um i i think about well you know um, well, this, this person that you love so much is actually suffering a lot. Um, and, and by seeking out help, they're actually trying to feel better. And so whatever the stigma, whatever the um, pre-notion of what therapy is or treatment is, and you know, I, I think it goes back to, well, if you get help for mental health, you're weak, right? right. Um, All of that aside, please think about what your child needs. Um, And I think that's kind of the starting point where the parents will start to kind of uh, chip away on their own um, pre-notions of mental health. Now for you, it was a a little bit different because you were an adult when this happened. Um, I think in these cases, well, you do have to have a little bit of strength for that, but um, if you can actually sit down with your parents and be honest about how you've been feeling, right? Um, how vulnerable and how unsure you might have felt about yourself. Um, um, and so that they can understand that really you were just trying to feel better and get better back to your baseline, the way that you were, the way that your parents might have loved you, right? they might have not seen that you were feeling that inside because we're so good at also (laughs) hiding that. Um, So just having that um, kind of conversation and chipping it away. Um, Sometimes as a therapist or psychiatrist, even with an adult, uh, as long as um, it's okay and I get the permission, um, in these cases, I'll have the parents come in um, so that they can ask me questions, they can, you know, so that I rather have the parents uh, get all the information from me rather than Google. Um, that way, they they know what is what we're doing isn't harmful. It's uh, it's what we're do- doing is to try to help.
4: Cool. I wish you could talk to my parents,
1: Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
4: I could see her like really liking you and yes, getting getting the facts from a doctor and not. like, <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Facebook
3: conspiracies. Mm-hmm. So, and I like that part where you said that uh, maybe a therapist of uh, non color, I don't even know how to say it, but yeah, I know someone so. of your same background may not get that cultural, you know, those nuances.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly.
2: It doesn't mean that they don't, they might, they might, they, they won't get it at all, but it does take more effort on the patient part. Right. So. Right. Yeah.
1: You guys, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing. I, I have to say, like, I I don't even think that we've really talked about it, you know, collectively to this level. and And I feel terrible that you guys kind of went through this in isolation without our support, you know, so openly. Um, So thank you guys for being vulnerable and thank you Dr. Cho for for supporting us through this (laughs) endeavor. Um, Is there, and I know this is probably not an easy answer but is there like some kind of key factors that you look at for people to kind of trigger when they need to go get help?
2: Yeah, so um, the first thing is when you even doubt, that do i need something <laughs> some help mm. it's the best time to go right um so it, I'm, uh, so a little bit of difference between anxiety and depression the anxiety yes uh, like Chuck says, um you know there are people who are temperamentally a little bit anxious <laughs> at baseline like me uh, <laughs> um but so and and what I'm saying, what I tell my uh, patients is, that anxiety is actually like a human nature. Like you cannot not have anxiety, right? Um, we would have all died in the cave um, if we didn't have anxiety. But uh, and and anxiety, some anxiety is good for you. It makes you work harder. It makes you get 100% on your exam. It makes you uh, do things that are safe for you.
4: But okay, I want my husband to be a little bit more anxious. <laughs>
2: Oh, <laughs> but um what uh, when when you need to seek help is when um when your life is is driven by the anxiety instead of you're you're actually driving the anxiety so your life is out of control because of your anxiety so like how isa was saying that like i would um i think at some point you probably thought okay these thoughts are So obscene like nobody's gonna take my child away but I'm still worried like noticing that it's not something that you should be worried about you're still worried that is the sign right Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little bit different because depression is even more subtle um um so a lot of people don't notice it but it's uh and it's also really difficult when it's postpartum because you're not sleeping you're not eating very well um so you're kind of like in a state that's kind of similar to depression where you're not you don't want to get out of bed you don't you know you need more sleep but i think um when you're not functioning the way that you should be functioning like uh Chuk said you know if you're if you're a happy person and that there's really no happy thoughts whatsoever or if you lose interest in things that you used to love there, there are signs. And of course, listen to your loved ones when your husband says there's something wrong with you. You gotta go. That's what happens with my myself as well, postpartum. <laughs> so, yes. um, so I think, um, you know, When you do go to therapists, when you do go to a psychiatrist, even that doesn't mean that you're going to get medicine, um, you know, and just even talking about it sometimes really kind of takes the load off and gets better, even, even in one session. And so don't be afraid of seeking help. The last thing, the worst thing you can do by seeking help is, oh, you don't need to come here. Great. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you thank you for that um, yeah. And you know lastly like the one topic I did want to talk about was was tying tying in our children mm-hmm. um, We are millennial mothers and and we have the benefit of a broader knowledge base than at our disposal than our parents did um, I, I mentioned in one of our pa- past episodes that um, when I was a teen I went through a really horrible horrible experience of bullying in high school and it it's still like, Sits with me today, and um, it, it resulted in, a, in in the first depressive episode that I've that mm-hmm. I've ever had, and and I didn't even know that I was in one, you know, and and I look back now because I'm a parent, and I think about it, and I think about God, my mom was probably doing the best that she could with with what was at her disposal. Um, and, and on top of that, there was a double-edged sword because we're Asian American. We don't talk about our feelings. Like we don't we don't have tools to, to deal with something of this nature. So um, I guess my question to you is because we have, you know, we all have kids that are five and under, like what, what are those like early or lesser known um, and not as obvious like mental health distress signals that, that we can look out for um, from our children? Because sometimes, I get confused myself because, you know, when the kids are this young, so they, they can't communicate <laughs> clearly what they're feeling. And, and I remember clearly an episode when, when my daughter Tessa was three and I was like, seriously, like I could not figure out, is this a, de- a, a normal developmental thing or is actually something, something wrong? So um, I'm, I'm just curious if, if there is any kind of thought around that in terms of like, how, how do you seek that out from your, yeah. from your children when they're young?
2: Um, well young kids are kind of like a people of their own. <laughs> um and, and I'll, uh you know, especially under five. But um I think I think the biggest thing I wanna impart is almost everything that they do is gonna fall in the realm of normal. <laughs> so not to be too worried. Um, the signs that you, there might be something difficult with their children or with your children or with my children is, uh, well, if, um, if a kid um, continues to have chronic bellyache, chronic headache, kind of like um, so, so somatic symptoms. Um, a, a lot of kids this age, you're right, they don't even know how to uh, identify their emotions, So they don't even, well, number one, they don't know what they're feeling sometimes right? Especially these kind of intricate depression uh, or worried, you know, everything's happy or angry or sad, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no in between. And so um, identification is difficult, but also the, um, expression of those, uh, those emotions are very difficult as well. So a lot of them will express it somatically um, and they really feel it. Like a lot of kids um, who don't have a really hard time with anxiety with school will say like every morning they'll have be- belly aches or headaches, and um, you know, you can check million-dollar workup, and there's nothing wrong with them. Um, and it, it can be anxiety. That's kind of a manifestation of anxiety. Sometimes, um, in extreme cases, we do have kids who um, have nightmares um, that are very consistent. Um, who sometimes kids do revert back to kind of babyish things. Let's so, um, they're very clingy. To- to mom or daddy when they used to be very independent so that when their functioning is a little bit regressing you do have to watch it now with pandemic that happens a lot especially because there's no school and a little bit of regression and a little bit of cleanliness is I would say normal unfortunately at this point um, it's more about like when they're going back to no- our normal life hopefully better soon you have to kind of ease them in um, but um If that's not the case, and they're not moving along, even if they have regressed, then you have to think about what is really going on.
1: Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, the physical symptoms, that's that's a really key point. Mm -hmm. That's so helpful. (laughs) Yeah, very helpful.
0: Chronic headaches, chronic headaches, that makes sense. Mm
1: Well, you know, uh, I don't want to keep you so long, but, you know, this was a really great dialogue for us. And and again, girls, I thank you guys for being so vulnerable. And for Dr. Cho, thank you so much for, for being here. This has been such a help for us, um, and it's been great having you with us. Um, it has always, always, always been our mission to connect with other modern women through the lens of our experience. So, as I said at the top of the episode, I, I really felt compelled to 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 have this episode just because um, we need to do our part with our platform to break down those stigmas. And and we hope that we've touched you, our listeners, in some way. So um, we'd really love to hear from you guys. And and if you would like, please send us an email at tittalks at gmail.com or slide into our DMs at tit underscore talks. Um, And please head over to iTunes if you have a chance and give us that five-star review. Thank you, Dr. Cho, and we will hopefully speak with you again soon.
3: Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. like to give credit to our husbands without their support on this project um, it would not be possible on top of that we'd like to thank our technical crew Um, music production by baby daddy beats and graphic design curated by Kano and lamora and also i'd love to thank all of you guys co-executive producers all four of us you know this is our baby so thank you guys